Well, today we're continuing our sermon series titled Old Testament Postcards. Uh, We've been learning a few kingdom lessons from um, otherwise ordinary Old Testament characters who are relating to an extraordinary God. Today we're going to be looking at the life of Abraham, the father of faith. So let's pray together. Lord, at the start of this brand new week, we just want to start by saying thank you for life and breath and soundness of mind. We thank you, Lord, for the ability to set everything else that competes uh, for our time and attention aside to give ourselves wholeheartedly to that which has become fundamental to our lives, loving and worshiping you. And so we welcome you here in this campus and, and right next door in Vineyard Kids, Lord, where, where the kids are embracing the kingdom as well. We, we say, come Holy Spirit, you are the guest today. Put power on your word to our lives is our prayer in your name. Amen. Well, Abraham's story is told in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, chapters 11 to 25. You may want to open your Bible or your Bible app to the 11th chapter of Genesis. Abraham plays a very significant role in in the three most prominent monotheistic religions uh, that trace their roots back to Abraham. That is uh, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, often called the Abrahamic religions. In the Jewish and the Christian tradition, Abraham is the father of the Israelites, God's people, through his son Isaac. In the Islamic tradition, Abraham is considered uh, um, a prophet of Islam and an ancestor of Muhammad through his son Ishmael. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, where we begin the family history. This is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, and while his father Terah Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iskar were the daughters of Nahor's brother Haran. But Sarah was unable to become pregnant, had no children. One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarah, his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for 205 years and died while still in Haran. So this story unfolds nearly 2,000 years after the creation events and the fall of man, and approximately 400 years after Noah, in a world that's now fallen into idolatry and wickedness. Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham, that occurs in the 17th chapter of the book of Genesis. Abraham then means the father of many nations. Abram was one of three sons born to Terah in the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur was in uh, Babylonia, modern-day Iraq in the Persian Gulf. The Babylonians had many gods and goddesses. You see, in the centuries since the fall of man and the flood, mankind was still groping, as it were, for a solution to the mysteries of existence and the universe. And he came to worship the powers of nature, which seemed to be the sources of life. And so the Babylonians worshipped fire, the sun, the moon, the stars, and sex because that's where uh, the means through which life comes. To make their gods more real, they 
made images of stone and wood, and eventually the images themselves became uh, worshipped, and mankind through the centuries had just continued to take a long, slow nosedive, as it were, from the original monotheism, the worship of the one living God, the God who'd revealed himself to Abraham and Enoch and Noah. The Bible tells us in Joshua chapter 24 that Abram's father, Terah, was an idolater. Abraham, however, was not. Now, just how Abram knew God, we don't know. When Stephen tells the history, the brief history of Israel in in his account in Acts chapter 7, he indicates that God appeared to Abram while in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran, and we conclude that perhaps this happened in a vision, maybe in an audible voice, or perhaps in person. Occasionally through the Old Testament, you'll see these pre-incarnate visitations of the Lord Jesus. They're called Christophanies, and perhaps this was one of those. But the interesting thing in, in my mind is that from all the people in all the known world and all the language groups that are listed there in Genesis chapter 11 in what's called the Table of Nations, that God, by his grace, his favor, his choice, he selected one man from all the people. He just chose. And unlike Noah, who we discovered in earlier messages, walked with God and enjoyed a close relationship with God, Abram had no inherent rightness that would have distinguished him from anybody else. God, the king, the sovereign king, just chose. And we know nothing of Abram's first 75 formative years. Now, it appears in verses 31 and 32 of our text in Genesis 11, uh, 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 17. Uh, where, do, where do we read? 11. Yeah, chapter 11, 31 to 32. It, it can be inferred from the text that, that Terah converted to Abram's God and desired to leave Ur. And so they headed out to Canaan, but they only made it as far as Haran. That's about 600 miles to the northwest. It'd be kind of like living in Peoria and deciding you're going to Hudson Bay, Saskatchewan, and you end up living in Fargo, Minnesota, or North Dakota. Yeah, somewhere up in the northwest. It's it's totally understandable why they only made it 600 miles. You know, uh, the text reads that they, they ended up camping there and living there until Terah the father died. But it's then in Haran that God either called or reaffirmed a previous call that he'd given to Abram. And we can read that call in Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you and make you famous and you'll be a blessing to others. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the families on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, these four verses are programmatic for understanding the rest of the Bible. Here starts in earnest the story of redemption, the establishment of God's kingdom by God's Savior for God's glory, the storyline of the Bible. 
And here we, we see it beginning to unfold. God calls Abram to be the father of a people. The text reads, a great nation who would see the fulfillment of God's promised redeemer that was hinted at back in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3.15, when after the fall, God promised, I will cause hostility between you, Satan the snake, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He, the coming redeemer, will strike your head and you, the snake, will snatch his heel. In this mysterious, enigmatic language, God is prophesying the coming Redeemer, that, that the Savior will establish the kingdom. And now we see in earnest this program uh, that God is, is instituting it is beginning to come to pass. Now, in the first promise in, in Genesis 12, God assures Abram that he'll bless him, he'll make him a uh, uh, into a famous person. He'll make his name great, is the literal language. And he'll make of him a great nation. Then in the second promise, he says two groups of people will emerge, the blessed and the cursed. Those that bless Abram because of his blessing, and thus they receive a blessing, and then those who treat Abram's lineage with contempt. And the result, God said, is that all the people groups on the entire planet will eventually receive God's blessing because of the special revelation that's going to come in the person of Jesus. Author Don Richardson says in his excellent book, Eternity in Their Hearts, that the promises that God gave to Abram here have what he calls a top line and a bottom line blessing. That is, the top line has to do with God blessing his people. The bottom line has to do with God's people giving away that blessing to all the people on the face of the earth. And that's the, the message of the kingdom in a nutshell. We're always blessed to be a blessing. That's what we see in, in seed form here in Genesis 12, 1 to 4. Everything we have in this life, our Food, clothes, health, shelter, soundness of mind, love, family, dreams for tomorrow, hopes for today, everything we have, even the stuff that we've gone to school, studied, and worked hard to earn, comes as a gift from God to be stewarded to be a blessing to other people. We are blessed to be a blessing. That's the motive of the kingdom that we see embedded right here at the start of it all in Genesis 12. It's never ours to be owned, but rather it's on loan from God. We receive the blessing so that we can be a blessing to other people. Now, if we miss this, we miss the rest of the Bible. Pro programmatically, Genesis 12 is, is like the link pin in helping us understand the coming of God's Savior to establish the kingdom for God's glory, the one storyline of the Bible. It's eventually fulfilled completely in Jesus and then continued to extend in the overlapping of the two ages by the church, those of us who are Christ followers. So really, from this point forward, we're going to begin to see that the Bible unpacks the one story of the Bible, God blessing his people to be a blessing to all people through the kingdom. Now we're going to apply uh, three life lessons, as it were, from this early snapshot that we see of of Abraham, the father of faith. First 
is this. Growth in our lives comes through faith. Now, faith can be one of those religious-sounding words that either intimidates us, we're afraid to ask questions about it, or it can bypass us because we really don't understand it, or it doesn't phase us at all, maybe because of familiarity. We think we know everything already about it. Let's just unpack it a little bit. Faith, or the verb form to believe, faith is the noun, uh, to believe is the verb, simply means to trust God, to personally trust Jesus. Now, when God spoke to Abram in Ur, however he did that, I seriously doubt if Abram knew where Canaan was at or really was like. No GPS, no, no Rand McNally travel atlas, no satellites, no nothing back then. God simply said, go to the land that I'll show you. That's the literal text. It's likely that Abram packed up the tents, the herds gathered up the family, and headed out in Canaan's general vague direction, trusting God to speak more clearly or in more detail. You see, Abram's faith moved beyond an understanding of the facts about the one living God to a more moral element of confidence and personal trust in. And so we could say in this way that faith is to confide in and to trust Jesus so as to be moved to action. In my mind, the word faith can kind of seem impersonal and and detached, but trusting in and confiding in and relying on God or Jesus can be personal and compelling. You know, if I were to say, for instance, you know, I, I have faith that, that one of these chairs is, is going to hold me up. That can just seem kind of like mechanical and impersonal, can it? If, on the other hand, I were to my, express my faith by actually sitting down, yeah, that, that involves personal trust and confidence, doesn't it? It becomes uh, something that's out of the realm of objective and mechanical to personal and intimate because it involves my life, my action. Now I'd like to suggest that we read the New Testament's commentary on Abraham's faith in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. This is what theologians call the hallmark of faith because in these verses, the author to Hebrews describes Uh, the life of faith of many of the saints of old. Hebrews 11, verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. So this is the Holy Spirit's inspired commentary. God spoke to Abram. He had confidence in and trusted God. And so he packed up and went. It would not have been faith if he'd done nothing. The Apostle James in his letter in the New Testament gives us this insight that faith without corresponding action or works is dead or useless. But since Abram trusted God, he could obey and he left. Now, all of us who consider ourselves disciples 
we want to grow into the fullness of following Jesus and, and his will for our lives. That, that's fundamental to those that are disciples. But regarding his direction, many of us want God to give us something sure and concrete, don't we? We want, we want something empirical that we can measure and weigh and touch and taste as far as what God desires for our life. We want maybe a sign. Maybe we want an audible voice. It sure be a lot easier, God, if you talk to us the way you talk to Abraham. We want an appearance. You know, come on, God, you did that for Abe. You can do it for me. You're no respecter of persons. You gave a burning bush to Moses. You gave a bright light to Paul. You gave an angelic appearance to Gideon. What about me? We want something specific and concrete as we step into God's purposes for our life. Maybe we want this dramatic, undeniable, supernatural coincidence. Or some of us even say, uh, we, we put out what, what we, we call, commonly call a fleece. A fleece is uh, rooted in the story of Gideon in the Old Testament, but it basically says this, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. And most of the time, we really don't follow through anyway when we make those deals with God. Bottom line, though, is I think God wants a trusting relationship that's made possible now because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. He will show us as much about the future as we need to know in the present. I think he really only told Abram to go. And Abram trusted that he would unpack the details later. In this sense, clarity comes as we step out with the light that we have. With whatever degree of insight and faith you have, you step out, no matter how clear or how vague. It's my conviction that God will seldom reveal his full purposes in advance. Why? Because if we're on one hand to see the victories, we'd likely get lazy or puffed with pride. On the other hand, if we were to see the problems and difficulties that awaited us, we would get fearful. And so he gives us just enough light to take the next step or two. You know, we want the beacon that shines five years down the road. And we just seldom get it. I don't think Abram got it. It was by faith that he packed up the kids and the troops and the, and the flocks and the herds and the tents and said, let's go. Um, in our very first move from Peoria to Champaign in 1979, God spoke this verse of scripture to my wife, Tina, and I as his specific direction. And the way that worked is you're you're familiar with how this works. You're reading the Bible, and a verse that was written to another people in another time is used by the Holy Spirit to, to like, communicate to you. It's, It's beyond the literal intended hermeneutical, historical, grammatical interpretation of Scripture way of understanding it. God uses the text to speak something fresh to you. And that's what happened in in uh, October of 1979. God used this text in Hebrews 11, verse 8, to tell Tina and I that we were to leave the comfort and security of our family and our job and our church and our community to relocate to Champaign with no further evidence or insight of where we would live or what we would do or what the future held or, or any certain security that would work. And so being two crazy kids, we just did that. And then 30 years later, he tells us to do it all over again, to leave the comfort and security of a family and a job and a community and a church home to move back to our hometown. Now, honestly, neither Tina nor myself has ever thought of ourselves as people of great faith. I I don't think of myself that way. Um, 
It's just that one of the lessons we think God's asking us to learn and really his church to learn is to trust Jesus personally every day. That's the message from the life of Abram, to confide in, to trust Jesus every day. Uh, I know that church planting, and those of you who have gathered here as part of our church family now, we've, we've been learning this lesson regularly, haven't we? Jesus, if you don't come through for us today, we are toast. That's what it means to walk by faith. And we've seen this. Jesus, uh, uh, you know, you've got to sell our home. You've got to provide us a job. You've got to gather a church family. We've got to rent a facility when we don't even have the money. We, we have got to see you, Lord, uh, ministering to the people that, that you want as part of our church family, leaving other relationships, leaving other church families and, and causing them to be joined together, answering prayers that we're praying. We, we've seen this. Jesus, if you don't come through for us, we're toast. Progress in all of our lives comes as we trust Jesus, as we step out and obey that which we think he's telling us to do. It always comes as we step out and obey what he seems to be indicating that you are supposed to do, regardless of how clear or, or uh, specific it is. Not when we sit back and wait in doubt. It's when we sacrifice that which is known for that which is unknown, that which is sure for that which is unsure, that which is secure for that which is intangible. That's when we grow. As I've told you before, it's when we go left foot, right foot, hear and obey, hear and obey, never really knowing where the next step or two is going to go. It's when we trust him. Maybe today for you, it, it, it will be leaving a, a current job, a good job, for one that you think he's directing you for. Or maybe leaving your job to spend time at home. Maybe it's to say no to a great opportunity that looks like it's for sure, but you hear God say, no, turn. Maybe it's to give away a certain resource or a sum of money. Maybe to actually build a shoebox for a a deprived child around the world or to send a year-end gift to, to a missionary or to tithe to your local church or to give an appliance to Southside Mission Mart. Maybe for you it's to go on a mission trip, or as Stephanie encouraged us earlier, to consider adoption or foster care, or to support someone who is. Maybe it's to serve in an area of church where you don't feel necessarily drawn or maybe even qualified for. It's to go back to school or to reach out to a particular neighbor or coworker or or a classmate building a, a friendship that, uh, that over which bridge you may later cross to share Christ. Continuing to pray for, for issues, even though you're severely disappointed about those, or to release forgiveness for someone for whom you're currently holding a grudge, or to build a, a, attempts of reconciliation to restore a, a broken or frayed relationship. It might be t- any one of those things, or a hundred others. But the lesson is from the life of Abram that our growth comes as we trust Jesus, step out, and obey in faith. The second lesson that I'd like to share is this. Give God the room to intrude in your life. 
Maybe not quite like that. But that was memorable intrusion, wasn't it? A commitment to be a Christian is really a pledge to be a Christ follower. An action verb. When you say in your heart, I believe in Jesus, he is my Lord. What you're really saying is I'm no longer the boss of my life. I trust you, Jesus, know how to better make decisions and direct my life than I do. And so I surrender to you. And where you lead, I will follow. The problem is that where Jesus leads us, we often have no idea where he's taking us. God has designs for our life, and his guidance and direction to fulfill those designs might actually take you by surprise. In fact, very often they'll seem irrational or not make any sense at the moment. Uh, in the in the eyes of the world or your family or others, much of what you do as you walk out your faith may seem foolish and illogical. But I want to just say today, based on the life of Abram, the father of faith, our father of faith, give God the room to speak into your life. You ever wonder what Abram thought when he heard those instructions, however he heard them? What, Lord? But move where? And do what? I mean, you know, we, we got a pretty good thing going on down here, if you haven't noticed. The flocks and herds are doing great. Thank you very much. You know, the crops are doing well. The vineyards and the olive groves are producing great fruit. You know, you know, God, look around. The kids are settled in school. I mean, my, my, my married kids and the grandkids are right here with me in, in the tents next door. It's pretty good here. We're settling in. But God said, pack it all up and move to a land he didn't know where he was going. And he did. Now, I don't think the text indicates that Abram, even in his old age, questioned God's wisdom. He just did it. He was willing willing to give the God that he knew the room to intrude. Age has actually little to do with our effectiveness in the kingdom. If you notice that, not many uh, of us, age 75, think life could just be beginning. But the truth is that it was for Abram. We have no record of what happened in his life up to that point. But it's at 75 that God speaks to him and his adventure in faith begins. So just hang on, some of you youngins, you know. You don't think God's moving and things haven't unfolded quite yet for your life. Just relax. Just simmer down. You know, we got a ways to go yet for God's full purposes to happen. Some of us, our adventure may not start in earnest till later. You know, this is all foundational. And ultimately, he wants us to be a blessing, blessed to be a blessing. So the point is, just give him room to to speak and direct. Give him room to interfere. And thirdly, just know that where God guides, he'll provide. When you read the account of Abram in the balance of chapters 12 through 25, you never get the idea or the impression that he got the short end of the stick. He was blessed. Now, hear me out. There's not always a direct correlation between obedience and blessing. Sometimes the obedient are not blessed. And sometimes the disobedient receive blessing. That's the mystery of God's sovereignty. Nor does it mean that everywhere God leads you will necessarily be easy. 
In many ways, life in the kingdom is difficult. God's grace, his direction is not in opposition to hard work or difficult circumstances. Many times, grace, following God, his direction will mean it's difficult, it's hard work. But we can fully expect that where God guides, he will provide. Genesis chapter 24, when God, uh, through Abram, sent his servant to get a son for his, uh, a, a wife for his son Isaac. The servant, in describing his, his master, said, The Lord has greatly blessed my master Abram. He's become a wealthy man. The Lord's given him flocks and sheep and goats and herds of cattle and fortune and silver and gold and many male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And the epitaph over Abram's life in Genesis 25 reads this way in verses 7 and 8. Abram lived for 175 years, and he died at a ripe old age. Having lived a long and satisfying life, he breathed his last and was and joined his ancestors in death. I'd love it that be said of my life, wouldn't you? Just a picture of a, of a, a blessed, rich life. Abram could have said no. He could have said nope. No top line, bottom line blessing for me, God. I'm fine right here in Haran. I don't think we're going to go. And if he had done that, he would not have been the father of faith. He would not have been the father of the three of the world's greatest religions. But I don't think any of those things were on his mind when he heard and went. He trusted God. He had confidence in God. He personally relied upon God. And then we know the rest of the story of God providing richly for him and ultimately for every family on the earth because of the Messiah, the Savior that came through his lineage in Jesus. And so when we obey and follow Jesus, we're going to grow to see him provide for us as only he can. And frankly, I think that's where he wants us as his followers. Jesus wants us to be in a place where we can only be sustained by trusting in him and his provision, not in our own resources or abilities. It's then that we'll experience his blessing in order that we might be a blessing to see his kingdom extend. God wants your life to be blessed, not the American dream life, but a life that's filled with his power, filled with his presence, filled with his love, his joy, his peace, his goodness, his healing, his wholeness, his restoration, his freedom from sin and oppression and addiction of every kind, having your needs met when you need them, so that you can then be a blessing to others and extend that kingdom to others. Your life will be filled with shalom. The power and presence of the Lord. Friends, let's allow this postcard from the life of Abraham to both encourage and challenge us in the weeks and months ahead. Lord, we're, we're grateful that uh, we see such a compelling and powerful lesson from the father of faith, Abram that our progress and growth in your kingdom comes as we trust you. Grace us, Lord, with the, with the ability to give you the room to intrude in our lives. And we hold on to your unswerving promise that wherever you lead us, you're going to provide. Put your power on the gifts that we now offer to you, Lord, in the offering, our resources that we've worked hard to earn, in the lifting of our hearts and hands in song, and even the sharing of the communion. These gifts that all say, we love you. We want our life to count for you in your name. Amen.